Hey, Laurie. Oh, Phil, you're sounding pumped, man. This is just before we press record. Phil was like, let's power through this. Let's power through. Not, not as in, like, let's get through this because I want to go home or anything like that. It's more <laughs> oh, like, no, of course this not. is going to be a great episode. I'm so excited <laughs> because we're going to do Alien Covenant review. Yes, we both went to the screening of Alien Covenant last week at a glitzy Western venue, Phil. I How did it go. feel living the, I felt very the highlight that I experienced on they a They give you a little free beer basis. and, like, a yeah. little bit of a popcorn thing. Well, they made us seal our phones in plastic bags this time. Oh, though. yeah, it was, all, it was very exciting. And quite high tech. Uh, but, yeah. Yeah, we're excited to go through that one. This is what Alien, the fifth one in the Alien franchise, I think. Oh, it's confusing because all those Predators films, but it's 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 after Prometheus and yeah, the sequel yeah. to the much hated <laughs> Prometheus. And what else are we doing? We've also got a review of Spaceship. This is the film by Alex Taylor, the the director that Benedict has spoken to, and we've also got his interview with that director from Benedict. That's right, really exciting. This is sort of a a debut, isn't it? The Super Belly Bros. Benedict's given us our first proper interview, uh, and we've also seen the film, so it's, it feels weirdly kind of like we're on it or something <laughs> you know what I mean we're not used to that yeah I, I feel a bit unnerved yeah I know what you mean uh, we're also going to do your emails and tweets at the end of the show thanks so much to those of us who've been in touch especially because we're recording this sort of two days after the episode actually came out so if you've emailed and people have emailed then thanks that's <laughs> super good that's really good uh, and we're going to do a section on what is it again movies and movies oh when, that's when a movie right. mentions another movie or shows another movie in their movie that's right. We'll explain that more as it comes to listeners, but that's a fun one, and we're looking for stuff from you on that. Also, of course, what we've been watching is back. Do we say what the films are, or do we leave it for... Tease it. Mm, Tease it. Perfect. Come on. Something to come. Okay, get in touch on superbellybros at gmail.com or at superbellybros on Twitter. And, of course, check out patreon.com slash superbellybros if you'd like to, you know, send us a bit of support and love. Well, is that what they say? Send us some love. <laughs> Something some, like that. Send us some money, more like, yeah. <laughs> Thank okay. you very much to those who do support us. It's really appreciated. And yeah, that's pretty much everything, isn't it? Yeah, that was that was pumped up, Phil. That was good. Energy. I'm ready. I'm feeling boom, good. Boom, boom. Okay, let's do this. Let's do this. <laughs> okay, Phil, you ready? I'm ready. Boo! Oh. Are you scared? No. Oh. I saw okay. it coming. Well, you're in just the right frame of mind <laughs> for our review of Alien Covenant. You may even be a little more scared after that uh, surprise, Phil, than you might be watching Alien Covenant. Maybe, or maybe not. I guess we'll have to wait and see. Exactly. The end of the I am saying maybe with a purpose there. That's not my opinion on the movie. Okay, so this is the sequel to Prometheus, Ridley Scott's much maligned prequel to the Alien franchise. And apparently he's got a three films planned, so this is right in the middle, and we've got another prequel to deal with, rather like George Lucas's approach to Star Wars. So we're, what we're going to do is play the trailer for you this week, actually, because the clips available on YouTube either spoil it or they're just not very good for the podcast. So enjoy the trailer, and hopefully it'll do a lot of the plot explaining for us. You've all sacrificed so much to be here and be a part of this thing we're doing. This crew is made up of couples. It's the first ever large-scale colonization mission. And everyone back on Earth is really grateful for your hard work. And your courage. We're making history here. This is wheat. What are the odds of finding human vegetation this far from Earth? Who planted it? You hear that? What? Nothing. No birds. No animals. Nothing. What happened here? 
giving you chills of memory phil mm, yeah, it's quite fun watching a trailer for a film you've already seen it kind of reminds you of bits you liked in the film in a quite an effective way i think yeah there we go so well listeners as you hopefully heard explained there this is a crew of colonists two thousand people in hypersleep or whatever you want to call it getting ready to colonize a new world with a skeleton crew i suppose who get disturbed out of hypersleep when an incident affects the ship as it's recharging. They meet up with Walter, the android played by Michael Fassbender, who's in charge of the ship most of the time, and then they have a group meeting, try and assess the damage that this accident has caused. And in the process of it, they spot that there's actually, as luck would have it, where they've had to stop, a planet that they could go to instead of the planet that is still seven years away on their planned trip. And this planet just might happen to have even better resources and a better environment for life, for a colony. And so they think, let's go check it out. So they head down to the surface. And I kind of don't think I need to say anything else, Phil, based on that trailer. The rest of it's just an alien movie, isn't it? Yeah, you know what's coming. So it's sort of an ensemble cast, although they're not huge stars. James Franco is in this film, as is Billy Crudup and Catherine Waterston from Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, and Danny McBride, comedy actor Danny McBride. Yeah, he's the, the pilot called Tennessee, isn't he? But I mean, the real star of the show is Michael Fassbender, isn't it? He's front and centre, the, the kind of focus of the film, I'd say. Yeah. And he's the one who's sort of getting all the fun roles shall we say. Yes, I think that's, that's fair. So, listeners, I, I don't know what your expectations are for this film, but I'll lay my cards on the table, Phil. This is weird. We haven't done a review together for ages. I'm finding it strange, because <laughs> normally rehearsed. I just launch into my thoughts straight away. Um, I have very mixed feelings about Alien Covenant. I think it is enjoyable. For lo- I think most people will have a great time in the cinema, and it'll deliver what they expect. But on the other hand, I'm amazed by the changes in approach that seem to have been made since Prometheus that also appear to be a direct response to all the criticism that got thrown at Prometheus uh, on the internet especially. Because this is five years uh, since Prometheus was released, right? So there's been a lot of time for executives and Ridley Scott to chew the fat, basically, and make changes. And I think you can really see the difference. It seems to be a lot more concerned with just telling a straightforward scare fest. Yeah, back to basics. And a bit more action-oriented. It kind of deals with some of the the law around the alien films especially what prometheus sort of stirred up but it's not really going to go into depth about that it's not going to have a complicated plot and the characters are a bit more straightforward too yeah i completely agree phil and in fact those those things in particular are a great example of how it's got knocked on the head because prometheus people said that the characters were stupid they're supposed to be amazing scientists and yet they made decisions in the film that completely go against their character. So the fa- most famous one is that geologist guy who is sent to map the alien spaceship and gets lost, like, instantly. And then you've got Charlize Theron, who's some kind of amazing commander or something, and then to escape a building, as opposed to running sideways, she runs directly ahead of it, which is not going to save her. So <laughs> people got really annoyed by that. And then the plot as well just jumped, was just mad. It didn't make any sense. Like, random chunks just came in all over the place, and it became really complex. There were twists. Who knew who to trust? 
I mean, that was partly because the one of the writers was Damon Lindelof, oh, who yes. also was the writer for Lost. And so he's very good at raising questions, but not very good at re- answering those questions. That's exactly what it is. So make, tell a really simple story this time around. And instead of having experts, have just people who are flying a colony ship. They're not military. They're not scientists. They're just people flying a ship. So you can kind of forgive them when they inevitably make bad decisions, as opposed to get annoyed that they should know better. Is that fair, do you think? I think it's fair. Yeah, and then also Michael Fassbender. He was the one thing everyone agreed on. Everyone loved him in Prometheus. And let's just say there is more of Michael Fassbender than anyone knows what to do with in this film. <laughs> I think when you see it, listeners, you'll know why we say that. Laurie, what did you actually make of the film? Did you enjoy the film like as a, a scary film? It felt very pulpy to me. It felt quite B-movie-ish, but with a huge budget and spectacular visuals. I wasn't very scared. I, in fact, if anything, I was kind of grossed out. I was slightly disappointed by uh, the pandering to fans that seems to have gone on. I'd rather Reddy Scott kept on pulling out weird, indecipherable plots from his brain rather than try to make it really straightforward because then all that's left is to retell Alien, the original 1970s movie, which is almost perfect in my book, and try and do it to the extreme, just try and ramp up all the action and, and all the gore. And this film is really gory. It's not scary. It's it's gross. I certainly was a bit disappointed by the fact that the, the sequences and the set pieces of this film are kind of echoes of what you've already seen yeah. if you're a fan of the franchise. And I think inevitably, once you've seen it once, you kind of, the excitement goes. And so you're sort of seeing a modernised version of something which you're already quite fond of if you are a fan of these sort of movies. I think I actually preferred the set pieces and some of the ideas in Prometheus. I know Prometheus has its flaws and people really hammer it and say it wasn't a good movie, but I think pretty much all the good things that were in Alien Covenant, I think, were in Prometheus as well. And Prometheus had some fresher ideas, in my opinion. That's exactly what I mean, man. Yeah, I wish Ridley Scott had kept doing that. There were definitely some positives. Michael Fassbender delivers completely. And he is a pro, isn't he? He really knows how to do what he's asked. I liked to see. I liked that Billy Crudup was in the film again. He's having a weird mini career resurgence, isn't he? Resurgence, resurgence, <laughs> renaissance, renaissance. <laughs> Who knows? Uh, and it's nice to see him playing a sort of leading role, even though I felt his character was one of the worst in terms of consistency. Because this is, as it will become clear if you decide to watch it, he's presented on the one hand as a man of faith that the crew members struggle to kind of Trust, basically. Yeah. yeah, because they think he's he's sort of a lie. He's a bit of a wild card. We never know whether he, the decisions he's going to make are going to be sensible ones or faith based ones. And then at various points in the film, he's seen discussing things in a very non faith way. He keeps going on and on about data and the and facts make, and the evidence. Yeah, and facts everything. and evidence and data, and making decisions based on. And it's just weird. It's like, did they have one draft of script where he was this intense scientist? Uh, and that's why they didn't trust him. And one draft where he's like a weird monk or something. They didn't seem to figure it out. And then it becomes clear that it doesn't really matter because that's not all that sort of set dressing is irrelevant. That was something I felt actually, Phil, uh, as it went on, is that even though they spent time setting up these characters, including Catherine Waterston, the second in command, who is nervous for various reasons, eventually they all become the same character. Would you agree? Yeah, I don't think they're as distinctive and I don't think you care about them as much. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, listeners, I'm going to compare it to Prometheus just because they are kind of similar films around the cinema times. I think I cared more about the characters in Prometheus than I did in this film. Catherine Waterson is kind of like the Sigourney Weaver type. I very clearly at one point they're trying to do that. And kind of replicating Ripley. But I just didn't really care about her. I didn't really think there was anything to the characters. I felt 
kind of disconnected from them and I felt like you didn't really spend enough time oddly enough in the trailer you heard some clips that weren't in the final uh, that's version that's true of the there's a lot of like pre-film stuff that's been released on YouTube isn't there and those seem to be the scenes which really set up the dyla- dynamics between the crew and their relationships it's very bizarre there's a lot of couples I think the trailer even mentioned it it's a ship full of couples that's the whole point colonisation and so there's all these marital relationships on the ship and when the alien starts doing its alien thing these marriages get affected and spouses die and things mm. like that. But the film doesn't seem to ever really address the, the devastation that would cause of seeing or knowing that your spouse had died. They just seem to kind of say, oh, no, she's died or he's died. And then kind of they carry on with the fact they're that they're sad in a for movie. a scene and then they have to get on with business, don't they? Yeah. And there's, there doesn't seem to be any ramifications for those sort of things. And so you kind of have these characterizations and these relationships that kind of hollow, which I think means that ultimately when people start dying and when they start getting affected by this monster it doesn't have as much impact as you really want no i completely agree phil i think i'd jump in and say i was a bit disappointed by some of the effects work as well while the spaceships in particular are fantastic and they really really nailed the design there and the feel of those i thought when they land on the planet some of the sort of planty life stuff some of the alien stuff actually looked a bit not cheap isn't quite the right word but just wrong somehow we talked about this with benedict um in fact about alien a few episodes ago on our ask benedict section and we were discussing how having the man in the alien suit in that original one adds a whole other depth and a layer of fear to things because your eye doesn't instantly recognize it as cgi that it is present the actors are dealing with it even if it's a puppet it's still there and it really works whereas this one I thought it was the most obviously sort of fakey looking. Would you agree? Yeah, unfortunately, it was in probably, I think, the best sequence where the CGI looked the most ropey. Yeah, There's one scene involving a kind of quarantine medical bay. That is a good scene. That is a fantastic scene. scene. Yeah, yeah. But the CGI is the ropiest, I think, in that point. And But having said that, it doesn't spoil the film in any way. And I think... There is a lot to like in this film. I, that scene in particular I thought was fantastic. It was acted really well. It was a horrible situation and you feel the weight of what's going on. And the fear in the actors I think is brilliant. But that was the, really the only scene that felt like that to me. Yeah, and actually I think the climax, the big kind of climax of the, the whole movie really, I thought was a bit of an anticlimax. in all honesty. I wasn't really that fussed. I kind of just wanted to end. I think you can clearly see the fact that Ridley Scott's a very talented filmmaker. He knows what he's doing. He really knows sci-fi. He knows how to stage a scene and put it together. And there's a real quality to the images that he produces and the production design. But I think it actually probably needed a better plot and a bit more characterization, really, right yeah. the way through. I would be really interesting to hear what audience reaction is because my guess, Phil, is it'll be positive on the whole with disappointments for people who care about the franchise and who really love the original. But for this sort of average cinema girl who just wants to go in and have a bit of a fright or a bit of a scare, it'll, it'll be fine, I think. It's definitely watchable and I think probably you, you'll enjoy it if you want to go see it. And if you, if you know what you're getting, you're going to get what you want to get, if yeah. that makes any sense. No, it, it absolutely does. I think I want to add in another thing as well. I was quite impressed by the score this time round. I don't know whether you noticed the music. There was a good reliance on brassy, stirring themes, especially in the first third of the film, that really recalled Jerry Goldsmith's work on the original Alien. And it's interesting, I've looked up the composer, and it's this guy, Jed Kurzel, who did the music to Assassin's Creed, which I was not impressed by. So this is another example, a bit like Michael Giacchino, or whoever he was, the guy who did Rogue One. This is a composer aping another composer. But in this case, I think it it worked out well. So that that was good, I thought. a, A final thing, sorry, Phil, my final thing to say is that when we're admitting that we felt Prometheus had the fresher ideas on the whole, that's not to say there aren't fresh ideas in this film, 
but I am disappointed that the approach they've taken to make them new, they've just created some new contexts and some new styles of violence. It's almost exclusively violence that's the fresh stuff, right? And they're really unpleasant, actually. The particular sequence in the shower that I didn't like for a couple of reasons, and Phil and I sort of disagreed on that uh, immediately after the film, no detail, but I wasn't a big fan of that. And the scene in quarantine I thought was excellent and scary, but there was one particular extra shot that was included which showed a detail of the consequence to the person who's infected. <laughs> Am I it's clear, Phil? Yeah. And that was really aw- awfully unpleasant, I thought. It made me feel a bit sick. And, and never before have I been in a screening where you could hear so many people going, oh, great. You know, did you notice that? And this is a film full of critics. Like the guy next to me, I chatted to before the film, he was reviewing it for a piece and he kept on squirming in his seat going, oh, no, it's too much. You think, like, so I think it, it really does push that boundary. And I'm slightly disappointed that that was the goal they went for. And I think, I mean, I, was, I remember reading your review, man, in your little uh, newspaper thing. Mm. Ultimately, the scares aren't really based in conventional scaring techniques in horror movies or anything like that. As soon as you've seen a, an alien film, you kind of know what's going to happen. And instead, the film is very aware that you already know the famous alien sequences. Yeah, yeah. And so it kind of flips them around. And so therefore, it's not scary. It's more like, oh, look, what's going to happen? You know what's going to happen. It's the anticipation but it's not it's not the normal sense it's not like oh no there's something nasty behind there it's oh no that's he's going to get happen. that yeah, exact yeah, thing yeah. which i know what's going to happen is about to happen okay mate, well so what would your grade be then unfortunately i think i kind of want to be a bit harsh to it i think i went in with a lot higher expectations than i realized and i was disappointed i think prometheus is a better film and i'm probably going to get shredded to pieces by listeners <laughs> for that um but it's enjoyable it's well made it's good 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 quality but it's not it's never reached the heights of aliens or alien and i think it's probably a b minus okay or no a b a b interesting a buzzy b well now you see i think because of the expectations i'm trying to get rid of those in my head i reckon if you watch this again in a year after you've seen some other films trying to do the same thing then i think its quality will be a bit clearer than you might guess so i think it it probably well now i'm gonna say it probably deserves a b (laughs) sorry it's exactly so great that you gave it because i realized i couldn't give it a b plus uh, but it, it's bet. I think it's better than we've made it sound in our review, and I feel that particularly for having seen that film Life a few weeks ago, which is basically a retread of Alien. That was Ryan Reynolds and uh, Jake Gyllenhaal, wasn't it? Yeah, that's right, and Rebecca Ferguson, I think, as well. And that was a that was so bad. Like in comparison, this is much better, certainly. So there we go. It's weird. That's the uh, first time in a while we've done it together, Phil. Do you think it went well? We sort know. of agreed, didn't we? <laughs> which never happened. <laughs> it's true. That's weird. Uh, any bonuses from you? It was weird seeing Danny McBride not be funny. It's true. Maybe he's got a career as a serious actor. He was quite good. A bit like John C. Riley or something. Both yeah, the yeah, maybe. Hair. Well, I suppose my bonus is the laugh that reverberated around the cinema when we watched it, Phil. <laughs> I don't think we can repeat it. It's got no, to be clean podcast, No, we can't. It? it was an innuendo, and I don't, I don't think it was intentional. I think it must have been intentional. Because it got a big laugh around the cinema, and that features Michael Fassbender playing a flute. Just put it that way. There's one particular line that got a big laugh. So yeah, that was weird. Maybe throw out to the listeners. Listeners, if you think it was an innuendo, let us know. If you do not yeah, think yeah. it was, then yeah, tell us likewise. And also tell us your thoughts on the film if you go see it. That's right. Superbadybros at gmail.com or you can tweet us at superbadybros. And I think we're going to get mixed reactions, I think. Yeah, I think you're right. I would imagine a lot of our listeners won't see it. But I, I think you, you should. If you can handle a bit of gore, then go for it. <laughs>
So, Phil, this movies and movies segment we teased at the beginning, this actually grew out of what was nearly a movie hate, I hate it, I hate it uh, segment. We haven't done one of those in ages. We were kind of, yeah, we just haven't hated much. Some listeners might even not even know what that was. Okay, but anyway, but it won't be that anymore. Um, basically, I was watching a few films, and in particular, I watched The Lake House, and there was a sequence in that where I believe it is Sandra Bullock's character who is saying how much she loves the book Persuasion by Jane Austen. Have you ever read that? Mm, nope. See, I have a history with persuasion because I had to read it uh, in my last year of school and I really didn't like it at all. I felt no sympathy uh, for the book's protagonist. And it was then interesting, therefore, to hear Sandra Bullock talk lovingly about about persuasion. And it's just one of those funny things in films that you can get away with. It's a a recognised thing that you can just say a book or a film or a band and it instantly becomes part of your character, even though that's sort of nonsense. Because... I mean, is there a book you like that defines who you are, Phil? I don't think there is. I've got a favourite book. All right, tell us what it is. It's personal, man. Come on, you got to tell me what it is. I don't want to tell you what it is. Well, because you're worried that we'll get a deep look into your psyche. Yeah, like maybe we will. I don't know. My whole point is that that doesn't happen. <laughs> is that, like, the stuff you like doesn't necessarily say who you are. And it's just one of those bits of movie logic that in the real world makes no sense, but in films makes perfect sense. It's quite a cheap way of kind of having something that they can talk about and Quick discuss. Quick characterization that makes them relate to you well. So she just says, persuasion is all about waiting, and I'm all about waiting, which is the most simple review I've ever heard of that book. <laughs> anyway, um, But then you brought, you chimed in, and there are quite a few examples of this, aren't there? I mean, in all honesty, man, I just think it's funny when movies use movies. That's kind of what I was thinking when I mentioned this segment. I mean, you've already mentioned it with 20th Century Woman how you didn't like how they kept on referring to music and bands and things like that, as if that said something. As if just name-checking these things is somehow useful or meaningful, yeah. But it's even weirder when they do it about movies. I was thinking about how in Logan, they kept on referring to that Western film, and they even like referred to it multiple times and then kind of had a, a weird homage to it as well during the film. And it's just very odd seeing a film film universe in which films exist. It's kind of a... It, it slightly jars almost. I mean, you brought up I Am Legend. Yeah. Which has got a crazy scene That in is it. a really weird scene. Just say that Western from Logan. We couldn't remember the name. I've just looked it up. It's Shane. Uh, and there's some suggestion that there's a structural mirror going on there. But it's weird that then they just keep referencing it. Yeah. But yeah, the I Am Legend clip is fantastic. Shall I play some of that? It's quite long, isn't it? Oh, I'll only play a little section of it. Like, it includes the dynamite line. This is this is Will Smith. If you don't know, I am legend. The world's apocalyptic and very, very few humans re- uh, remain because, like, vampire-like things are hunting them down. And Will Smith just encounters what appears to be a family home, uh, but he's been on his own for who knows how long. And, uh, well, just check this out. I don't have any friends. And I'm not going out there by myself. Hey, winner, I got a great idea. I'll stick with you. You a mean green fighting machine. Together we'll scare the spit out of everybody that crosses us. I like Shrek. <laughs> What's so weird about that is how seriously that scene is played by everyone. So long. <laughs> One odd scene. like we only played a short bit there, but the whole thing is two minutes. You can find that on YouTube. Of Will Smith gabbling on about <laughs> doing all the lines. Very odd. And you, you were a big fan of uh, Steepness in Seattle for this, weren't you? Well, Steepness in Seattle did it well. I liked how they did it. They're always mentioning An Affair to Remember, by, which is uh, that Cary Grant film. Yeah, yeah. And in fact, it kind of inspires the movie, inspires the, the conclusion of that movie with uh, in the An Affair to Remember, it's all about whether or not they go to the Empire State Building and whether or not they have a romantic moment and a meeting there and then in Sleep to Seattle that informs how they then 
arrange that meeting in Seattle. I've explained that really badly. No, no, no. It's good, but man. what's funny is there's a really nice scene where they talk about it and you hear characters talk about this other movie and the girls are all like crying and sobbing about how beautiful and wonderful it is. And then Tom Hanks and his buddy are just like, what? I don't get this at all. And in yeah, fact, they yeah. make fun of it with a, a little great story about a grenade. I just want somebody that I can have a decent conversation with over dinner, you know, without it falling down into weepy tears over some movie that she, you just saw. Very emotional. Although I cried at the end of the Dirty Dozen. Well, who did Because Jim Brown was throwing these hand grenades down these air, air shafts. And Richard Jekyll and Lee Marvin were sitting on top of this armored personnel carrier that dressed up like Nazis. And oh, God. Treaty Lopez. He busted his neck when they were parachuting down behind the Nazi lines. Stop it. Richard Jekyll at the beginning he had on his shiny helmet because he was EMP. Please no more. Oh God, I love that movie. Oh right, okay, okay. But I'm, I even made me think of another one. There's Serendipity. John Cusack and Kate Beckinsale are sort of getting to know each other. It's like an electric first meeting, and you, you have to believe for the point of the film that these are two people who really should be together. So in a way, you can excuse the kind of reference. You quite like that one, don't you? Yeah, I haven't watched it in a long time. Actually, I've been to that place in New York, though. Serendipity, good hot chocolate, as they say. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, this is how they do it here. Okay. Favorite movie. The correct answer is Cool Hand Luke. I've never seen it. Oh, come on. You've never seen Cool Hand Luke? Paul Newman? Oh, my God. Come on. Failure to communicate, sadistic cop in sunglasses with no name. Reminds me of you in that way. (laughs) Yeah, and to to round this off, there's one that I just hated. And it's not technically in a film, so you might strike this from the list, Phil. Um, And I'm I'm likely to upset some people with this opinion, but I am not a fan of the Gilmore Girls. Uh, (sighs) Judith has really loved watching it while she's on maternity leave. And when our daughter finally goes to sleep for a couple of hours, that's her sort of... Oh, time to relax. Mm. And I just came across the main girl. You know what they're like. They just talk, talk, talk. Lorelai and Rory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know them well, And my she friend. just, in, like, is in a cafe or something. And she just says, oh, it's like that Akira Kurosawa movie. And the guy's like, what? And she's like, oh, you've not seen Akira Kurosawa? Oh, well. And, and I hate that. I hate that because she doesn't say anything about Akira Kurosawa. There's no point to that other than to say hey that girl knows her films and i hate that it's like you can't just do that you can't just name check all this stuff and get away with that anyway it just felt like really shallow character building and it's the writers saying i know who that is maybe that's the thing if you feel like they've actually seen the movie that's that's the way to get away with it second they have yeah so listeners basically the point of all this rambly segment is we want to know your thoughts do you have any great examples where movies in movies or you know books in movies when a character in a film references it when it's worked really really well and actually supported the film and contributed something and can you think of ones that are really annoying absolute train wrecks when they just completely miss the point it's just why even bother doing like, that why bring that up ugh. yeah 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 probably no one else feels as strongly about it as i do phil so there we go <laughs> i think i get the sense you're more strongly anti-jane austen than anything else no i don't mind jane austen at all i didn't like persuasion but let's leave that there for another day <laughs> So it's Super Belly Bros debut time. We've got Benedict's interview with Alex Taylor, the director of Spaceship. And just ahead of his interview, I'm going to play the trailer for the film. So listen and enjoy this kind of eclectic mix of clips from the movie. And after that, we'll hear Benedict's interview with Alex. And there's some great stuff in there, listeners. They talk about the film, but they also cover what it's like to bring a first feature film to production, how he got the funding, uh, what it was like moving from short film to long film, and also Alex's views on narrative cinema and reviewers and the whole world of film criticism. So loads of good stuff. And immediately after that, Phil and I are going to give our own thoughts on Spaceship. So here we go. 
Most of the kids around here think they were abducted by aliens. At one point, my local college was nearly empty. The police looked everywhere. They all came back three days later with stories that didn't make sense. A warrior, I'm a prince of darkness. I belong, and you belong. We're at the center of everything that's awesome. Everyone just wants to be like us. I always wanted to be a unicorn, like in that game. The one where it flies all over the place until it gets sucked into a big black hole. The hole's full of glitter. There's some kind of amazing world in there. Perfect for unicorns. My friends are zombie. Zombies remember their past lives and feelings, even though they want to eat your arm off. Deep down, they remember things, like when they first fell in love. Something out there came and took her away. There was like electricity in the air and then uh, vaporization. An alien abduction. And if we were like the other kids... I'm delighted to say we are joined on the Super Bailey Bros in Movie Land podcast by Alex Taylor. He is the writer and director of Spaceship, which is a very interesting little British independent film. Welcome, Alex. Thanks. It's nice to be here, Benedict. Good. It's great to have you. Mm. Now, Spaceship is not a conventional film, I would have to say, certainly plot-wise. Could you, in your own words, describe for the listeners what is going on in Spaceship? Spaceship is about a girl who fakes her own alien abduction or disappears in what seems to be an alien abduction. And we follow her father looking for her. So there's this structure of a search for her, but really what it is is a labyrinth inside a teenager's mind. That's how I saw the film. And I wanted to go left, right, down, whichever alleyway I I saw something interesting, rather than be constricted by uh, a linear narrative, which is why you're saying it's not conventional. So to me, it's normal to do that. (laughs) I find it weird to to restrict yourself to one pathway I just find it um, I just want to break out and just smash the walls down so um, for me this is a normal way of doing things but um, it's it's like a constellation of portraits of people who are all trying to find themselves and people who are trying to be themselves um, against convention against peer pressure and that's for, very much for me what I, what I remember going through when I was a teenager and I think, you know, even as adults, we go through that as well in different, different ways. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And as a, because you wrote the film as well, uh, is it difficult to balance and to juggle the stories and character development of such a wide net of characters and different individuals and personalities? It is really difficult. And um, for everyone around me, it must have been quite <laughs> frustrating because I sensed where I wanted to go but I, I was never always sure exactly on the, on the day which, which, which pathway we'd be taking so wow. uh, there was a lot of spontaneous um, I, I wrote new scenes while we were filming I cut scenes um, you know they nearly shut the production down because I was cutting <laughs> scenes and adding scenes that weren't in the script but um, they saw the rushes and they, they, they loved it so luckily they, they gave me quite a free reign in um, following that sort of method but it is tough for sure but um, I had a great editor as well, so after we finished filming, you know, we went through a good six, seven months of editing, which is longer than your usual yeah, no, yeah. film. Um, and we juggle scenes, 
trying them in different places, taking them out, adding adding them, cutting scenes, like a Rubik's Cube. Cool. And eventually we just got to a place where we felt the scenes are just firing off each other. It was very fascinating. There were some scenes that we moved from the middle to the end or the end to the beginning. Right. And they, they shed new light on the world. Yeah. How did you find this young cast? Because they're very talented. I hadn't seen any of them, I don't think, before, beyond yeah. maybe. In a... Yeah, I mean, it's something I was really passionate about, you know, finding new talent and giving... I, 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 don't really, I didn't really like the idea of having a bunch of actors who I had seen in previous films and because therefore I just attached thoughts and yeah. atmospheres to them um, from the, what their previous work. So Tallulah had never been in a film before. Right. Um, Tallulah hadn't, and yeah. she's now, you know, the lead in a net, new Netflix series. She's in Taboo and that sort of stuff. And, and so it was all on meeting them in person and listening to the, the atmosphere of their soul, if you like. Yeah, absolutely. It sounds like Radio 4. <laughs> <laughs> no, I believe it. Um, but, you know, I really believe that people have an atmosphere to their soul and I yeah. wanted to, to get a collection of the right sort of souls. You know, Lucy studied ballet, for example. So yeah. it was just on that day that we, had, we were filming on an army ground and there was a tank. Yeah. And I had a previous scene that I was just... It's a little bit bored by, so I just cut the scene and said, uh, Lucien, um, you, you do ballet, right? He said, yeah. <laughs> I was like, can you do ballet on the tank? He said, yeah. Mm. Okay, we're going to film you doing ballet. Yeah. And that's how that scene came about. Just yeah. So if I hadn't have picked him, you know, I didn't know that his ballet would come into the film at some point, but... But it did, didn't it? It did, and I was thinking, you know, all, all of the actors um, were wonderful people. And yeah. I nicked things from their lives. And did you? Yeah. <laughs> And put them in the film. And did you trust them to do any improvisation, dialogue-wise, and that kind of thing? Yeah, they did, they, there's a lot of di- a lot of improvisations. About yeah. probably a third of the whole film. Really? Is okay. Improvised. As much as that, yeah. Because yeah. it does feel very naturalistic, and I think you capture, uh, though it's not everybody's teenage experience or life experience. I very much related to that teenage search for some sense of identity and kind of answers to these questions that you're starting to um, think about. And you, and you related to Luke's character, presumably, because you're sort of similar age and... Yeah, yeah, guy I'd say so. And yeah. So do you treat your hiring of crew in a similar way to how you hire actors? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Interesting, because yeah. I'm sure lots of directors are just like, yeah, good resume, yeah. let's go with them, or whatever. Yeah, and you get, like, really bad atmospheres on some sets, because they're just, you know, if, if you don't care about who you're working with, you just end up with a sort of hodgepodge crew of yeah. misfits, you know, but... Um, everything from production design and costume I mean I had a wonderful crew and, yeah. and they all sort of <laughs> actually they probably wouldn't say that they were all harmoniously working together <laughs> for me it seemed like that yeah. um, I didn't get to see anything that went behind <laughs> the scenes you know? Great. can you talk about the process of bringing Spaceship to the big screen because it began as a short film of the same name though they feel kind of tonally linked but not necessarily exactly the same characters or anything like that so can you talk about that journey? So um, a Spaceship, the short film I actually made while I was funding, while I was developing the feature. I kind of right. made it, I was inspired by Chloe, who's a cosplayer, to write the story of Spaceship. Yeah. Um, but I made the short film kind of helped to help support my application. So to get to get to the big screen, I had to apply to iFeatures, which yeah. um, is still going. And uh, there were like 350 people applying and 36 of us got an interview. And um, 16 of us got a treatment. 16 of us um, got money to develop a treatment. Right. And then they chose eight of us to go to script. Okay. And then, and then at the end of like six months or something, they chose three of us to go into into production. 
so right. it was really stressful it sounds as like uh, x-factor it was like x-factor yeah and you make friends on the people with you yeah on the, on the, and, and then it was so sad to see people go and then you were happy that you got through yeah um yeah making first film is but I came from music and I saw a lot of, I was doing music for people's films and yeah. a lot of them were not getting to the point of making the first feature so it is so difficult to get that first feature made yeah. you've really got to like nail every single pitching yeah. meeting that you do and yeah I don't know how I got through <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you say eye features am I right in saying that that is a collaboration between is it the BFI the BBC yeah. and someone else can you and kind of Creative talk England, yeah. and Creative England so can you talk about do you know much about iFeatures? Because I, I don't think I'd heard of it, actually. Yeah, I know a certain amount of it. I mean, yeah, so it's the three... Yeah, it's those three funders. And yeah. they put a third in each, and you have a, an exec producer from each of those bodies right. who, who, who you pitch your idea to, and they hopefully choose your idea. And then they guide you through the process. And iFeatures is for the first-time feature filmmakers. So okay. if you've done short films, you haven't yet done your first feature you can apply to this. If you've already done a feature film, you can't. Right. Interesting. So it's a chance to make your first feature film, which is r- quite rare and very rare, you know. Yeah. Especially this sort of money. It's, um, you know, nearly half a million. So, you know, a lot of people start on a lot less than that. Do you see any clear differences for you in your experience between directing a short film and directing a feature? Yeah, you have a big responsibility to entertain and draw the audience through a much longer period of time yeah. so which obviously for me in this sort of style of filmmaking is something that I had to grapple with and you know I didn't want to fall on too many formulas or or just fall, fall on sort of general sort of tension and thriller-esque kind of plot contrivances yeah. um, but at the same time you've got to somehow give people a reason to want to keep watching every scene yeah. so it's, it's really tricky um, especially with this kind of style of film but um you know, I tried to get the balance right of scenes which were interesting in themselves and scenes which played a function. Because that, for me, is the big... The problem with for me with narrative films is that um, a huge amount of the scene is essentially just playing a function to, to make you want to watch the next scene. Yeah. It's not, it's not someone's true personality expressing themselves. It's, it's, it's an express, expression of somebody in order to achieve the aim of creating a dramatic irony or... Yeah. Um, asking a question or answering that question and when I see a film where every scene is just asking a question and answering it then I, I just kind of feel well you know that's not really a person doing you know I, I like to feel like the film's alive and the people in the film are real people living and the other thing is that I really like because I'm a musician I really come from a music background I like I wanted the film to be more like a music album that you could even dip into right, and yeah. enjoy wherever you go into it yeah. rather than you know your traditional kind of start at the start end at the end mm-hmm. so it's sort of that's why the film sometimes is a bit sort of yeah well, it's just non-linear yeah, yeah. and um, can we talk a bit about uh, the importance of reviewers for you I think I've read in the past that you're more interested in maybe what the audience are taking from it right and kind of nervous about what critics are going to say how important are reviewers to this film, this spaceship. In there. They're really important to this film because it's on general release and yeah. people, the audience, will... The audience is what matters, but the audience read reviews to they decide do. whether they're going to go and see yeah. the film. So, and um, we've had some... We've had such, um, you know, 
sort of fantastic reviews. So I kind of actually, you know, I mean, there's one or two people who didn't quite get the movie, yeah. and, and they they don't get it at all. <laughs> so yeah. like, can't stand this. You know, the people who love it absolutely love it. Yeah. You know, some people have said, you know, it's like my soul is tripping off the screen. You know? <laughs> and these people I've never met before, so yeah. that's, that gives you a huge pleasure in hearing that someone responded to it emotionally. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, they're really important. So we're really excited to read what the uh, what you guys and the yeah. national press and. Uh, everyone says yeah it's an exciting time mm. uh, so I'd like to say thank you Alex for spending time with us thanks a lot Good I think the film is really interesting and I would uh, urge you all out if it's playing in a cinema near you uh, to go and see it because I think there's a lot to talk about shall I um, tell you where it's playing yes you should <laughs> yes <laughs> so please it's playing the Central Picture House uh, the main premiere is on the 19th of May great Central Picture House we're also playing at the Ritzy in Brixton the Rio in um, Dalston the Genesis in Whitechapel the ICA and the Institute of Light as well in, in London Fields and then yeah. we're doing Manchester Birmingham Bradford Glasgow Nottingham all over the place so just go to spaceshipfilm.co.uk and all the details are there thank you so much thanks a lot there we go listeners hope you enjoyed that interview what a well done Benedict wasn't that good superstar He's very shining us. Yeah, true story. So you've already heard uh, what Alex Taylor feels about the film and a couple of Benedict's thoughts as well. Really well done, Benedict. Thanks very much. Uh, Phil and I are going to give our own brief thoughts on Spaceship, but they will be fairly brief because you've already had that interview. The core plot of the movie is that a girl has gone missing and her father, who's a guy called Gabriel, is looking for her. That's about right, isn't it? Yeah, and in doing so, he comes across her bizarre mix of friends who are, I think they're cyber goths, I think it is. Okay, yeah, qu- certainly quirky teenagers, yes. And uh, in doing so, he has to buddy up with Tegan, one of uh, his daughter's friends. And I think we've got a clip of that, of them sort of discussing life. Yeah, this is a great little soundbite from the film because it gives you a, a sort of impression about what it what it's like because we just described to you the plots, but you're not going to hear any of the plots in this clip. You're going to hear just Tegan and Gabriel, this girl's dad, uh, just chatting away in a car. So here you go. I was playing this game last night and there was no characters. And the aim of the game is to see how long you can last being isolated. You kind of, like, see what the world's like and you appreciate it more. How long you last? Mm, there we go. Very sort of um, existential. Ethereal, you might say, yeah. Would you say ethereal? I don't know what ethereal ephemeral? means. Ephemeral, <laughs> one of those two. I can never remember. I think ephemeral might be ghosts. <laughs> uh, <laughs> listeners, the best way to describe Spaceship, I think, is that this is an impressionist sort of film. So if you're familiar with impressionist painters, you can vaguely see the object of the painting but it's sort of completely morphed into various perspectives or colors or interpretations uh, everything around the object plays a bigger part than the object itself is that fair yeah probably I, not impressionism but you know i'm going with it no but i think that's that's a fair thing i don't think it's necessarily a film that's meant to be straightforward or accessible in a in a in a normal conventional way of a film i think the film is designed to wash over you and you're kind of meant to be immersed and sort of weirded out in some ways yeah by this other world that you haven't really come across this teenage world where they're trying to be completely individual and 
almost alien i guess that's why it's yeah, called spaceship exactly that's right yeah and you can hear from alex's interview that was obviously part of the goal from him as well that there was this sort of fluid approach to the, to the making of the film and there was a bit of freedom to explore the characters and broaden out the world and experiment with the script i think i would say is absolutely not mainstream would you agree with that phil yeah i think so i think it will appeal to some um but a lot of people i think will probably be intrigued but also slightly weirded out i think that's kind of my feeling i have to be honest it wasn't the normal sort of film that i've seen or a film like and it wasn't really like a film i've ever seen before no and it was i guess it's quite art house i don't really know i feel well, you like know, i suppose the, the highest praise i can give it in this case is that i have watched a film called to the wonder which is ben affleck and it's a terence malick film have you ever seen any terence malick film i haven't and i'm probably gonna get shot for saying that but no he's... no, no. I, he's he, well he's quite hard to watch actually terence malick a lot of his films I, I, again i'd say they're kind of this impressionist thing the camera moves around a lot the editing is very sort of messy so audio bleeds between the clips and you don't really know where you are or what's going on and the plot is not really the important part it's the sort of texture and the feeling of the whole thing so if you for example really loved guardians of the galaxy 2 and you really enjoy like the fast and furious films you can't wait for the next marvel film there's almost no way this is your kind of film but if you're interested in kind of being shown as something weird and wonderful and psychedelic in some places yeah yeah like a psychedelic uh, skins is kind of what i thought the tv show if you remember that yeah it's very much otherworldly and uh, there are some really good performances i think and some hidden british talent that's been discovered uh the the alice girl the one with the nose ring yes and kind of blue hair she seemed very engaging and captivating when she was on screen and lucian charles collier i think that's his name he was very captivating and This is probably the right time to mention the fact that the film has a thing which I haven't really seen before in a conventional film. It really wants to have no real main character. You definitely follow Gabriel, the, the, the daughter's father, as he goes and investigates, but he's not really a main character. And the film doesn't really focus on any one in particular instead it is very concerned with giving you perspective from each of these characters yeah. they kind of take the focus at different parts of the movie and that's kind of your gateway into the world it's quite disorientating and intriguing at the same time you're sort of waiting to sort of it all to click into place i'd say but it resists that basically right the way through to the end doesn't it? and in some ways i guess that's because it doesn't want you to let it doesn't want you to sort of be able to dismiss these characters it wants you to work hard to understand their complexity and check this out listeners i'm going to do my artsy fartsy thing so alex if you're listening this is for you because you know this might sound very strange and a different approach to storytelling but this is a very old approach to storytelling uh may i say to you phil that the iliad by homer is actually constructed more like this than you might imagine the iliad you think is all about brad pitt defeating eric banner (laughs) outside the walls of troy right Uh, actually that's not really like that the iliad as you read it is the weird stream of consciousness battle you constantly lose sense of the timeline and the place you stay with one hero for a while and then you just move to another one and you don't come back to the hero before but you still end up with a massive overall picture uh, of the iliad and then similarly uh, you know james joyce probably would love this uh, because his poetry uh, was very sort of impressionist i remember one lecture describing it to me as like the written equivalent of an orchestra tuning up to all the instruments play at once and in a way it's cacophonous in a way it makes a beautiful noise so there you go there's my artsy fartsy part over now may i say <laughs> Uh, I'm not sure that I, I can say that I liked it. I think that's how I feel overall, Phil. And I think in particular, I d- wasn't keen on some of the dialogue between the teenagers because it wasn't clear whether the film was trying to present some of their thoughts on life, death and the universe as valuable and as deep 
or whether they were kind of frivolous and just teenage and sort of immature and i kept thinking it was trying to say that it was deep on in the end and if there was supposed to be depth in some of that then i disagree basically but having said that i i think at times that's true and that and maybe that's inevitable with some something which is a bit more art house and a bit more unconventional you're going to get sort of a bit more ponderous dialogue but there were moments when the teenagers really did seem like teenagers there was one scene where they're discussing the piercings that they got and they're sort of hanging around in their house and they're all drinking and just sort of chatting and they're giggling and laughing at each other which i felt was quite authentic and and just believable and so that you've got these kind of very realistic sort of natural scenes between teenagers as they chat and then these very uh intentional pieces of dialogue and monologues and so it kind of jars and conflicts and juxtaposes itself quite nicely in some ways i definitely was intrigued for the duration of the movie but at the end, I wasn't sure if it was a movie for me. Yeah, sure thing. And I, I agree. For like, you know, I was intrigued right through to the end. But for me, it was probably more the visuals more than anything else. Because the visuals were, were stunning. There's I, some I agree, really yeah. creative camera work and angles and use of small interior spaces. I think there's a sequence towards the end where the dad is going through a sort of rave, basically. Like a neon party. That's fantastic. I thought that was wonderfully shot. And I really felt like, actually, there are some shots from that that wouldn't have been out of place in a film like Blade Runner, for example. And it's, you know, obviously the films are, completely poles apart but actually when gabriel the dad is sort of emerging uh, in sort of semi-darkness and lurid things are kind of happening left and right that was a brilliant bit of sort of dream-like chaos wasn't it on film so lo- lots of things that were very visually impressive technically impressive so i don't know how to grade it really phil because it's a film unlike any that i've seen really and it's not sort of the normal film that Super Baby Bros review, but it was interesting watching it. And um... it would be fair to say we're not really sure how to grade it because every other film that we cover, it you know sticks to very clear conventions. And it's about entertainment rather yeah. than about anything else. That is not what this film's doing. So I don't feel that we can grade it, but hopefully you guys can pick up how we felt from uh, from our little rambly thoughts there. If you have seen Spaceship or you go check it out in the cinemas, we'd love to hear your thoughts on the film, what you think it meant, what it was trying to say, all that sort of stuff. We'd be really interested to know what other people's responses were to the film. And I guess we're going to hear from Benedict when he's uh, back in... Uh, is he in Cannes at back the moment? In he's going to be in Cannes. Yeah, we're going to get some updates from the, the Cannes Film Festival from him. Very exciting. But when he's back, we'll, I'm sure we'll get a little bit of an update on what he made of Spaceship. Nice. Okay, thanks very much, everyone. Thanks very much, Alex, for being willing to be on our show. Any other bonuses? Well, there was, there was a bad poem in there, but I think it was meant to be bad. I think it was satire. Do you remember the guy just saying disco over and over again? <laughs> remember that, no? I'm not sure if that was satire. <laughs> I think it was. Uh, listeners, definitely give it a watch if you can. Love to know your thoughts. What have we been watching this week? Woo! Laying my cards on the table. Definitely not the right key. Oh, I'm let guessing. me try again. What have we been watching this week? Woo! Too much. We can't do it more than once. Listeners, that's how we used to do what have we been watching this week. And I sort of went for the jingle only version, but Phil was saying, no, we've got to sing it again. No, no, no. I just thought it seemed out of place. We haven't sung it for a long time. Yeah. And we always, we sing it without hearing the jingle. So we have to guess the was key. Was that really out of tune? What's the right key? Let's just find out some other time. Let's actually do the films that people are interested in. What are you doing this week, Phil? I'm going to do Side Effects, the Steven Soderbergh film starring Jude Law, Channing Tatum, Rooney Mara and Catherine Zeta-Jones. Oh, nice. Very slick, Phil. And I'm going to do After Earth, the uh, terrible M. Night Shyamalan film, or so people say, that appears to have started uh, a decline in his career. M. Night Shyamalan, starring Jaden Smith, right? And Will Smith. Yeah, that's right. Okay, do you want to go first? I think I went first last time. Do you want to go first? Fine. All right. After Earth. Crash landed. Two confirmed survivors. Son, this is not training. 
surreal. Everything on this planet has evolved to kill humans. Every single decision we make will be life or death. But if we are going to survive this, you must realize that fear is not real. It is a product of thoughts you create. But do not misunderstand me. Danger is very real. But fear is a choice. Do you know where we are? No, sir. There we go. Yeah, so Will Smith is a, I think he's a captain or something. He's an important guy in terms of security in a sort of space fleety thing. This is where the humans are now. They're not on Earth anymore. They're in space. And they are at a war with a certain kind of creature that is gradually tracking them down. And in this film, they're doing a routine sort of flyby. And he's brought his son along, uh, who is sort of being trained in the ranks. But Will Smith is kind of a distant father and an apparently emotionless father as well. So Jaden Smith is constantly trying to impress him, constantly wants to do well. And he wants to prove to his father that he's worthy of being his son. Uh, you know, and, and of joining the ranks of this military. And then as they're doing this routine flyby through Earth, an accident happens and there's a crash, a terrible crash. And the shit, they're all on land on Earth. Will Smith is terribly injured. Uh, Jaden survives. But they're the only two humans, apparently, uh, who have survived the crash. And it just so happens the planet they've landed on is Earth, as you heard in the trailer there. So what Jaden's got to do is get to another part of the planet where there is uh, remains of a settlement and therefore he will be able to light up a distress beacon and get him and his father saved. The only thing is, because this is a class one quarantine planet, whatever it is, this means that those those monsters have overtaken it and they can smell fear, Phil. But they're like blind, aren't they? Yeah, but they can smell fear. But so, they're blind. And, and this little kid, Jaden, is going to have to make it from one side to the other, completely alone in a hostile world without and expressing he, any fear. He absolutely stinks. He stinks of fear, doesn't he? Yeah, well, you know, he, yeah. And the, <laughs> What's amazing about this film as well is he also manages to make it from uh, the spaceship to the talent without expressing any sign of talent either. So he managed to suppress both fear <laughs> and, and talent. <laughs> So there you go. That's something I didn't say. But maybe that means he's super gifted. Possibly, yeah. So, I mean, listeners, this film is more famous for how bad it is meant to be uh, than it is for anything else. I'll say up front, I don't think it's as awful as people want to say. There are things about this film that are really quite imaginative and interesting. I think the way that Shyamalan shoots uh, these different environments that are very familiar environments, you know, forests and snow, very earth-looking places, not sort of exotic, is quite creative. He makes it look mysterious and uh, threatening but at the same time totally familiar and that's a really important part of this film to make a, a world that you're familiar with seem alien and threatening but, yeah but also not sort of ludicrously like that uh, the same can't be said the cgi animals which look awful all of them there's a scene where he runs away from monkeys which is dreadful uh, there's another scene where he inadvertently 
um, has an allergic reaction, which is hilarious, and his face swells up. That's a very <laughs> odd scene. Uh, but that's practical effects, and it looks quite good. So whenever there's sort of practical stuff, camera work and effects done, I'd say it looks great. And the design of the spaceships is quite interesting. Uh, his suit design and this staff that is key to him that sort of expands when he grabs it is also quite interesting. There's a glider. All that stuff, I think, would go over really well, especially with a younger audience. The major problem is just... It's a, it's a boring idea. It's really weird that it got made. The The whole point is they can't express any emotions, any fear especially. Will Smith is really distant, and he's literally distant as well, not just emotionally. He's in the spaceship while his son goes off. So you're you're spending all your time with Will Smith, who's being really dour and serious, and Jaden Smith, who's being sort of frightened but trying not to be frightened anymore. And that's it. That, it that's seems, the whole thing. It seems like a very flawed idea for a movie because it's actively encouraging your protagonist to not be relatable. Yeah, completely. And in, in an alien scenario, full stop as well. And the film progresses exactly as you'd imagined. There are some sort of odd moments where the relationship between Will Smith and Jaden Smith isn't clear and they obviously have to work through various things together. And there is a sort of connection, I guess, with the idea that a father is having to allow his son uh, to face dangers and be his own man for a change, uh, even though Will Smith is reluctant to do this. It just isn't good. It's the it, the major issue is the plot and the threat and the fact that you're not really in suspense. You don't engage. And Jaden Smith is just not really... It's uh, tough to say about a kid actor. I mean, he's not a kid anymore. This was made a few years ago. But he's just not very good. He's not very charismatic. He doesn't hold the screen. And you sort of just wish he'd stop whining, basically. <laughs> really? Yeah, a little I, bit. That's a sad because I remember him in The Karate Kid, the remake with Jackie Chan. I quite liked him in that. I thought he was quite good. He's a bit annoying and a bit like, I'm American even though he's in a foreign country. But at the same time, I kind of liked him. I thought he but held is that the partly screen. Because he's not being told to be emotionless and scared all the time. No, he's all like way, way too loud New Yorker guy. Which is probably closer to what he's actually like, I would imagine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Knowing his, you know, Will Smith. <laughs> so, no, yeah. he was born in West Philadelphia. <laughs> oh, sorry, born and raised. That's right, Phil, I forget. <laughs> uh, so for me, it gets a C. I think it's quite dour and unenjoyable, but it's not totally without merit. Do you think it could have been a successful like youth novel or something like that? Yeah, it's that kind of thing. It sort of should have been a very so you could hear the thoughts of trashy, the character or something. Yeah, that kind of thing, and it could have been much shorter as well. <laughs> and one of the other parts of it that's frustrating is that Shyamalan is the king of twists, isn't he? And you know, we heard Benedict's review of Split quite recently when he's given sort of really tense subject matters to work with. He's great, and he can keep you on the edge of your seat. This is the premise is boring. So there's nowhere for it to go. How anyway, do you yeah. twist something that's boring? Well, yeah, it just becomes more boring. It's just, yeah, nothing. <laughs> that's every, the twist. Every, every which way it turns. It's like one of those uh, like uh, things where you go, what are those things called again? You're seeing the hand gestures I'm doing. Oh, the weird thing that the playground kids have, you that like, all like, which choose a colour? Yeah, it's like a little cube thing. And every time you do it, you choose a three and then you do one, two, three. And then okay, this is, I'm taking a long time to say it. I'm boring myself. <laughs> but the point would be, they're all boring. Anyway, Phil. <laughs> Open up. Yes. Yeah. I door number three. <laughs> nothing. Nothing. Exactly. Oh, all right, Phil, your review. Side effects. I'm Dr. Banks. I'm a psychiatrist. How have things been going with you? I didn't know who he was or what he did. He just swept me off my feet. And I told him I would wait for him. I want to have a life with my husband. <laughs> she didn't just have the rug pulled from under her. She had the home of the husband. Her entire life gone. Who wouldn't be depressed? What do we do? I honestly believe medication will help you. Prozac, Wellbutrin, Effexor. Maybe she's a candidate for one of these neuromeds. The Blixa. 
hope these things work. Whoever makes this drug is going to be rich. It's making it easier for you to be who you are. <laughs> you remember this beautiful lady? She looks amazing. She's doing well. M, it's the middle of the night. What are you doing? Are you awake? She walks in her sleep. It's a side effect. 911, what's your emergency? I need help. I just had no idea this was going on. In my opinion, you are a victim. You know I'm not crazy. She had no history of violence. We need to ask you to step off this now. What does that mean? I just want to know what happened. She's very attractive. Would you have treated her differently if she was a man? Emily, what is going on? I don't understand why this is happening. They're naming me. Resign from the case. Step off. I can't do that. But who can see the lies? That's why I have to make this work. It was the Oblixa. I would never be here if it weren't for that. I have to prove everything. I want my life back. She wanted to stay on it. She was feeling better. Isn't she sick? I thought sick people sometimes make things up. So there you go. That's a really good trailer, I think, for the film because it's not quite like that as a film and that's a good thing. So this is a film uh, from Steven Soderbergh, 2013. stars Rooney Mara, Jude Law, Channing Tatum and Catherine Zeta-Jones. You kind of get a sense of what's going on. Rooney Mara is the patient. Jude Law is the psychiatrist. Channing Tatum is the husband who's been arrested and then uh, is with Rooney Mara and Catherine Zeta-Jones is another psychiatrist. It is just a different sort of movie and it kind of blends and bends genre Throughout the course of the movie, you think you're watching one sort of film and then it switches and changes and then you're suddenly seeing something else. It's sort of horror, thriller, psychological. It's a very unusual film and it's quite difficult to put a pin in exactly what sort of genre it is, but it's a great film right the way through. I'll and say it up front. You're quite a big fan of Rooney Mara, aren't you? Yeah, I am. I've seen her in Social Network. She was Mark Zuckerberg's kind of lady love who never really got off the ground. And then also she was Elizabeth Sander in the David Fincher remake of oh, Girl, Girl with the Dragon, Dragon Tattoo. Tattoo. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, And she was brilliant in that. She got all the piercings and everything. She's very convincing. She kind of has a weird Swedish accent and everything. I think she's good in this film as well. She's very compelling. And uh, when she's on this drug, a blixer or whatever it is, you kind of... Yeah, it's really hard to gauge. It's very much about what's going on and who, who, who can you trust, who's really saying what they are and doing what they seem to be doing. It's, it's, a, it's a good little thriller and it's a good little mystery and I was hooked right the way through and I saw twists and turns. Well, I didn't see the twists and turns that were coming. I'd really recommend this film. It's quite a tough one to watch because it deals with the mind and like who you really are and all that sort of stuff. And it's kind of some nasty ideas in there. Mm. But it's directed by Steven Soderbergh. He's the guy behind the Ocean's Eleven films. And he's a talented director and it's got a style. Jude Law's great in it. Channing Tatum's really good in it. He's a good actor, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, he's won me over massively. Well, can I ask, I mean, you're saying there's good twists and turns in things. And this is a film where we question whether her version of events is right when something bad happens, basically, yeah, isn't it? And because yeah. she's on a drug. Is it one of these films that's presented out of sequence? Are there flashbacks and flash forwards? And is that how it keeps you disorientated? Or does it progress in a linear fashion? It progresses in a fairly linear fashion. It gives you a little bit of backstory with what goes on with her husband and his financial issues and how right, he ended right, up in right. prison and things like that. But it basically unfolds really nicely. 
And the thing which I really like is the twists and the turns are not just in the plotting of the movie, but also in the direction of the movie and okay. how it's put together and how it's constructed. But it's not in a cheap way. It's not just sort of, oh, we didn't show you this bit. Like so now you see me, for example. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's not just sort of saying, here's some information you didn't know and that makes it all make sense. It actually genuinely is sort of unfolding in front of you and you're with the mystery just as much as the characters are inside of it. Sounds great. I don't want to spoil anything, yeah, course, but I think yeah. it's great. I think it's really fun and exciting and I was on the edge of my seat and I didn't see where it was going to go and where it was going to end up and I think all the performances across the board are really quite good well I was just going to ask because Jude Law in that trailer sounds like he's the leading man and I had previously thought he was sort of a side character actually and I was surprised that he was cast in that role he doesn't take many like that he's more sort of smarmy charming guy Um, so yeah how's Jude Law he's good he's got some real complex things to act out and he's a good Good actor in the film. I don't. I don't you, I can, yeah, I was going to say you can't see Phil's face, but he's clearly trying to avoid uh, giving any of the plot away uh, as he talks all the way through. Like you've got such a quizzical expression on your Sorry. face. <laughs> I've been told I'm, I've got a rubbish poker face. I can't hide. Oh, anything. really? I'm yeah, the yeah. same, man. I'm the same. Uh, as it's about some unpleasant stuff, is this going to trouble people? I don't think so. I'm not a massive fan of horror films, and there's horror elements. But I think where it ends up is it's okay. Okay. I think if you see it right through to the end, you'll feel comfortable about the, the ideas of the film. But it certainly is not necessarily the most pleasant watch right the way through. I mean, that's what you want, isn't it? You want to feel sort of on the edge of your seat and a bit, ah, where's this going to go? That's the whole point, right? And then you take a big sigh of relief or something. Ooh, okay, that's not a spoiler to say, I take it. Well, I, yeah, but how, how do you get to the sigh? No, what? Whose side are you on? Whose side are you on? <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> don't, 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 don't include that, please. We're recording this quite late today. Oh, so dear. In case you couldn't anyway, the grade for me, I think I'm going to give it an A minus. I really like. This wow, film. it's that good. Yeah, I've been, I've seen it a couple of times now. I've enjoyed it, and it's always kind of surprised me again in how it unfolds. And I'd be interested to know what listeners thought of it. Well, there we go. That's what we've been watching this week. Thanks very much, Phil. That's After Earth from me, which got a C, not great, and Side Effects with an A-. Send your thoughts to superbellybros at gmail.com or at superbellybros on Twitter. And as ever, if you've got a film you are burning with desire to have reviewed by us, then do send it in. But we can't promise that we'll like it. Yeah. (laughs) Are you making up a song this time or am I? No, I didn't go so well, did it? You took your turn emails from the listeners it's listener emails now right moving on (laughs) why do i do this to myself every single time i hate myself (laughs) no you don't don't, don't, i don't hate myself i hate myself in this moment when i've just done a song well well, i don't hate you phil i'm grateful and i'm sure the listeners are too listeners thank you very much for getting in touch especially for having managed to get in touch only two days after the uh, actual show was released we've got a few to go through Stephen immediately got in touch with movie clinic and guardians 2 hey bros sorry this is a week late not at all didn't want to listen to the Guardian's review until I'd seen it. Perfectly understandable. Thanks for watching Seeking a Friend for the End of the World. We watched it because well, this is Stephen's recommendation. That's why we did that in our movie clinic, right? Mm. Um, he says we watched it because it had four stars on Amazon Prime and Steve Carell was in it. When it was terrible, we thought we'd missed something. So glad to hear that we didn't. Sorry, you had to watch it. That was kind of what I said right at the beginning. It was my guess. I was like, probably the reason why this feels like there's something you're missing is just because it's rubbish. <laughs> and so, yeah, I'm surprised my- you got four stars, though. That's really shocking. I think it's the kind of film some people really like because of the quirky music, basically, and because it, it just is quirky, full stop. I bet there's somebody listening who's, like, deeply hurt by well, what you said. Not into, I don't think it's very good, so come come at me, as we say. Uh, he then goes on to say, minus one for Laurie on Guardians of the Galaxy 2. I get what you mean about all the characters having sob stories, but surely it's a good thing they're trying to give the characters more depth. Considering they're met in a prison, it's not surprising they have sad backgrounds. 
Your thing was the fact that you already knew all their backgrounds already. The only one which you didn't know is Yondu and his uh, Ravagers or whatever backstory. But you kind of have a clue to that as well. I think to, to give Stephen some credit, I think this came in just for last week's show. So Stephen has probably heard those extra thoughts now. So he knows. I don't think it actually does add any depth. You're right, Phil. But I'm, I'm glad that other people feel they're getting to know these characters as well. Also, I know you hate the setting up the next film thing. And while there was plenty of that here, they did have quite a good storyline for the film itself, which was your point, Phil. I, I think it's fine. It's not the most like original idea, but I think they handled it pretty well. It's actually surprising they dealt with Quill's dad in the way that they did. Um, when we left, my wife was surprised. Spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. So yes, <laughs> they set future stuff up, uh, but I don't think it was at the expense of a strong story here. I think that's fair enough. Do you think so or no? Well, you know how I you feel. Disagree, I don't, don't think you? Big Jelly Goop is a good story. I think it's a, a metaphor for personal relationships and it's just got Disney written all over it. But there well, we go. Out of interest, what did you think of Kurt Russell? He's fine. I mean, you haven't seen Fast and Furious 8, Phil. He's in that as well. He's just having the time of his life right now. Someone somewhere has decided that he's an 80s icon. So let's just get him in films and everyone go, oh, it's Kurt Russell. <laughs> That's kind of why I think he's getting the gigs. He's a good actor, man. He's, he's fine. Got a good yeah, agent, he does a great apparently. job. There's a lot of people in that category. He's kind of like Jeff Bridges, though. Do you know what I mean? He's old and grizzled. They, can't, they could play very similar roles if they it's chose Quite nice to. to see them in the same movie. Mm, it's never happened before, has it? I don't Maybe know. the same person. No, it's rubbish. Uh, finally, he says, I thought this was just as funny as the first one. Our cinema were cracking up all the way through. Did you laugh at Baby Grooch dancing? Um, I didn't laugh at it. I liked it. It was nice. That's well, was, your personality. But it's not a joke, it? is it? I didn't laugh. I liked it. <laughs> I, I really love that beginning scene. I've said it every time. I thought that was that was really good. And I kind of got the joke when they're saying, has anyone got tape? But for me, it was just a bit laboured. And it was like, if, if this is how I imagine a script meeting went. It's like, we've got a climactic thing right now. We need to do our guide into the galaxy thing where we don't do it like every other superhero. So how about, can we, can we think of a joke? Anyone got a joke? Anyone got a joke? Uh, you over there, what have you got to say? Oh, nothing. You over there, what have you got to say? Uh, I'm not sure. Um, you over there, have we got any tape? That's good, that's good. Let's use that. Have we got any tape? Yeah, okay, I overplayed that, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> so, Stephen, thanks for your email. Alistair got in touch at Super Betty Bros. Great pod, guys, but Interstellar is easily in Nolan's top four for me with The Dark Knight, Inception, and The Prestige. Where's uh, Memento in that list? I'm sorry, where's Memento in that list? That's a good question. Memento's kind of the classic, isn't it? Really I would argue him. that that's his most interesting film. Wow, there we go. An argument for you, Alistair. Uh, he says he loves it because it's a great dad-daughter love story thing going on. Yeah, I like it. I like the emotions in the film. I think it's sort of not what people expected, though. That's my only thing. Yeah, no, you said that well last week, Phil. Yeah, nice one. One uh, quick tweet reply here from Jacob, who got in touch about Mindhorn. And this is in response to me saying, how did Steve Coogan allow himself to be in it? How did it get made? All that kind of stuff. And he says, Remindhorn, doesn't Steve Coogan's Baby Cow production team produce the Mighty Boosh? And the answer to that is yes, they did. Steve Coogan's production team did produce the Mighty Boosh. They also produced Mindhorn. So there you go, there's the link. So Well that that might explain why Steve Coogan agreed to be in it. Um I'd say I mean there's a lot of other there's a lot of production teams that share stars that don't immediately get their star in it. I think uh, you know, Julian Barrow is probably just desperate to get as many people into this film as he could and having that production team on board would have helped. But probably in some a mates ways, thing, isn't it? Yeah. Sorry? It's probably just their mates. Yeah, that kind of thing. And if anything, I reckon the fact that Steve Coogan's production team was involved means there's even less excuse for it to be as average as it was, basically. I'm really curious to know what other people think of Mindhorn if they go and see it because I don't doubt that loads of people will like it a lot more than me but it just really didn't strike a chord with me at all. 
and that's it those uh, those are all the emails we've had in the amazingly short space of time so thank you so much all those who got in touch and if you've got thoughts on our last uh, show as well as this show then just keep them coming in we love getting the flow and we'll stick them in wherever we get a chance even if it's like about an episode like five six seven nine weeks back we won't mind we'll just be interested yeah certainly will we'll just be interested certainly will yeah, alright right, thanks guys keep them coming superbellybros at gmail.com at superbellybros on twitter thanks <laughs> Phil, I mean, I, it's late. We haven't recorded this late in a long time. I'm feeling the difference. And in like a non-Weetabix way, it's like anti-Weetabix. And what do you mean, Weetabix? What's this going to be? You know, like you eat Weetabix and you're meant to be set for the day. This is like the reverse of Weetabix. You feel like. I suppose, and it's also quite warm as well. It's been a warm day. So I feel like everything's steaming against it, making sense. <laughs> uh, you did a little outro spiel this week, Phil. You did it well last time. Uh, I'm going to mess it up now. Uh, thanks so much for listening, guys. That's been this week's episode, Alien Covenant and Spaceship as well. We'd love to hear your thoughts on both if you agreed with us send in your plus ones if you disagreed feel free to send in your minus ones it's always a conversation with the super baby bros mm, yes absolutely next week you've already seen a film for it it's colossal yeah that. i've seen colossal looking forward to talking about that and also fantastically king arthur legend of the sword guy Ritchie's masterpiece i'm sure you're really excited for that film <laughs> you already am. told I... me you like the trailer because it used led zeppelin basically yeah i think it looks absolutely ridiculous but i can't wait i'm seeing that one uh, next tuesday so check out next week's episode that'll be good send in your movie clinic suggestions and also if you've ever noticed movies in movies mm. i mean i like the idea of that segment but <laughs> if you didn't like it don't worry but if you do have some ideas send them in we're slightly more rambling than usual but yeah, there was something there wasn't there there's always something there <laughs> this is thanks so much for tuning in thanks for your emails keep them all coming superbellybros at gmail.com at superbellybros on twitter and thanks just yeah thanks full stop for listening just thanks just Tom thanks thanks <laughs> we did that didn't we Tom Hanks thanks uh, those are the good old days okay alright <laughs> we're still in the good old days <laughs> see you next week Lizard. good young days bye bye so could you stop yawning I've actually got a bonus to, <laughs> okay, uh, carry on. to do it's late man have you ever lost your sense of taste uh, I burnt my tongue a couple of times yeah so when I um, I think this is actually one of the first times that I met Judith's family so like the in-laws now uh, I had a terrible ulcer in my mouth you get ulcers really bad well I, I used to get them really bad when I had braces and oh. and like especially if they're right around the edge of your mouth it's like whenever you smile or talk it's like lances of pain so you end up talking with like this weird half expression <laughs> oh, and, and when you're eating it's the worst anyway it was a really bad one so Judith and her mum suggested uh, that I gargle some TCP have you ever heard of this that sounds chemically not fun well, you know, I think it's a, not, a slightly more old-fashioned method of dealing with it. These days you've got Bongella or whatever it is. Um, but so I, I, I did it. And at the time, I don't think she might not like me saying it like this. Judith said that what I should do is gargle it for as long as I could or like swill it around my mouth for as long as I possibly could to get the most benefit, which I did. It was painful. Um, but I did it for, for as best I can. Mm. Um, and when I, when I thought, right, that's enough of that, I spat it out. And certainly my mouth felt numb, Phil. Certainly it felt numb. <laughs> Only at dinner that evening did I realise I had utterly lost my sense of taste because TCP is very clear that you must only gargle it for a very short amount of time. Oh, no. Uh, and I probably did it for roughly five. You've never told six, me this. I've never told you this. No. And I can't tell you. I, I was terrified that I would never get it back, number one. And I honestly can't explain to you what it's like to not taste anything. It's one of the strangest experiences I've ever had. And what was tough was that clearly my in-laws didn't really believe me because they were giving me, uh, in Northern Ireland, I don't know whether you know this, but Mars Bar and Apple sandwiches are a thing, as are chicken and grape sandwiches. And they're very keen that I try these, you know, Northern Irish delicacies. 
and I said, you know, I can't taste anything, but they they still said, oh come on, you know, try try it. And like, let me tell you, eating a Mars bar with no taste is very unpleasant. Eating an really? apple with no sense of taste is very unpleasant. If it's just the texture, it's misery. It's so weird. Like, and the and exactly the same thing went. I had some schlur uh, that <laughs> night as well. You know, schlur is nice. It's very sour. You know, really gets because he drinks for adults. Yeah, yeah. It? Mm. And it, it was horrible. <laughs> it was like all I could do was feel it on my tongue. That's so it, weird. It's just hideous. So I'm just curious to know whether any other listeners have had that experience. It can be done by gargling TCP for a very long period of time. But you would but not recommend it. Do not do that. <laughs> it is against all kinds of medical advice. Oh my goodness. Um, but it's very odd. It makes me wonder. You know, what it'd be like to completely lose your sense of smell, for example, because. I was genuinely blown away by how much it changed my day-to-day experience. But I knew somebody, my one of my friends from America, his mum had no sense of smell. Really? And she was all about texture. She loved burnt food. Really? She didn't care about the taste. It didn't like it wasn't a big fact factor. It was all about the texture. This is because I remember them saying, I think our food tech teacher who got busted eventually, didn't he, for selling marijuana brownies? <laughs> Do you remember that? Yeah, to the sixth Many, form. many, many on. years yeah, ago. <laughs> uh, I remember him talking about how smell was really important with pineapple or something. And and you had to visualize it as well, because if you couldn't smell pineapple, then it tasted like something else. If you visualized chocolate, then it would, yeah. So anyway. What? Something really strange. But Clearly I mean, that guy's been eating his own product. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, man. Anyway, there we go. That's my little story for the day. What an interesting story. I saw okay. it coming. <laughs> Actually, we can't use that. It didn't work at all. <laughs> we'll just cut my I saw it covered thing and then just carry on. I don't know what to say now. You say, well, there you go. You made me more scared than the film might make you feel. Well, maybe not. Who see? <laughs> this is made. This the the bait. I think I'm gonna give it. I'm. 